Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Ben Jones is a single 38-year-old truck driver on the verge of losing his small trucking company. His route takes him back and forth across one of the most desolate and beautiful regions of the Utah desert, where he meets a mysterious cellist and the embittered owner of a small diner. That's the plot in brief of James Anderson's debut novel, The Never Open Desert Diner. Now in Anderson's new book, Lullaby Road, Winter Has Come to Route 117. And uh, Ben finds a mute Hispanic child who's been abandoned at a seedy truck stop along his route. Far from civilization and bearing a note that simply reads, Please, Ben, watch my son. His name is Juan. And then at the bottom, a few more hastily scribbled words, Bad trouble, tell no one. James Anderson was born in Seattle, raised in Oregon, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, he is has worked in book publishing for many years. Other jobs have included logging, commercial fishing, and briefly, truck driver. Currently divides his time between Ashland, Oregon, and Four Corners region of the American Southwest. And tomorrow evening, 7 o'clock, he'll read from and sign his book at the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. A video uh, trailer, a book trailer, will for Little by Road will be shown as well at that uh, event. And uh, James Anderson uh, joins us for the hour. Thanks for joining us. It's a great pleasure, Tom. Thank you. Talked to you uh, a couple of years ago for uh, Never Open uh, Desert Diner, and uh, glad to have yes. you. Glad to have you back. Uh, so uh, it's kind of de rigueur these days. A book trailer. This I, I watched it this morning. Um, in fact, the video director and an actor, uh, who I guess were part of this, uh, will be with you at the event uh, tomorrow evening. Yes, you know it. It turned out so beautifully that um, most book trailers are. Uh, you know, 45 seconds long with stock footage and quick cuts. And, um, gee, I'm a novelist. Uh, I don't do anything that fast. So uh, we actually filmed it on location. And uh, I will have the young Native American actor who portrays Ben Jones with me, Cosme uh, Duarte. And um, we, uh, we're going to have a screening of what has now been turned into a uh, short film, uh, which has uh, original uh, music composition by Michael Dalala and also uh, a song by Leonard Cohen performed by uh, two-time Grammy Award winner Terrence Simeon. So it really turned out just, in- it's so beautiful and so haunting. So I'm hoping that uh, the people that show up will uh, enjoy seeing that because it's a, it's a window into Ben's world. Again, that's King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City tomorrow evening, uh, 7 o'clock. Uh, I saw in the credits to the trailer uh, that was filmed, uh, I guess, in or near Cisco, Utah. Yes, yes, it was filmed around Cisco, uh, which is not far from Moab. Uh, and it's in the general vicinity of where uh, Ben drives his uh, his truck. I want to talk a bit about that. Um, I guess you... You were briefly, one of your jobs was a truck driver, so I guess you used that to describe, you know, the, the, the Ben's job. Uh, why why Utah? Why the way now two novels set in, uh, in this area of Utah? You know, I'm in love with Utah. Uh, it, it sparks my imagination like no other place. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to go overboard here, but there's something very magical about the Utah light. And the first time I went to Utah was in the 70s. Uh, 
maybe it was late 70s, early 80s, uh, when Mark Strand was at the university, and I had friends in the writing program there. And um, I was, my very first visit, I was struck by the quality of the light. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, there are uh, uh, atmospheric and geological reasons for it, but it's a, it's a very special place. And when I, when I place Ben there and the characters, uh, it all takes place under that incredible, beautiful Utah light. What, uh, um, uh, what maybe you could expand on that. What, uh, what is it about the, the light? You know, it's, it's diffuse and it's mysterious. And, uh, you know, I, I have huge, I'm hugely influenced by uh, the nonfiction writer who writes about the desert, Bruce Berger, and Terry Tempest Williams. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really difficult. But, you know, when I talk to people um, uh, in Utah and around Utah, you know, book signings and, and so on, they all say, yes, I know exactly what you mean. And uh, whether, whether you're in Park City or whether you're in Moab or, uh, you know, there's just, there's just this quality. Um, and uh, I've, I've been immensely uh, gratified that uh, reviewers uh, have responded so wonderfully to the book. And one of the things they always mention is that the desert, the Utah desert, is as much a character in my books as any person. Yeah, that's certainly true, and uh, of course, very, very welcome. Uh, and if people, you can go to jamesandersonauthor.com, I believe it is. Um, yes. And uh, see the trailer, and this is, I mean, you know, anyone who's driven through country that looks like this will be taken back to any of those experiences. You, It's, you know, the remote high desert. Uh, I wonder, in fact, uh, James Anderson, if uh, you have your book with you, I understand, if you could read the first yes. couple of paragraphs. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. And this is uh, Lullaby Road we're talking about. The, uh, yeah. uh, so. I'm just going to read the, uh, the opening. Uh, so here we go. A momentary silence was all that marked the passing of summer into winter. After living most of my almost 40 years in the high desert of Utah, 20 driving a truck, I had come to the conclusion there were really only two seasons, hot and windy and cold and windy. Everything else was just a variation on those two. Late in the evening, I lay half awake in my single bed and knew the silence meant the season had changed. I like to think maybe I know a thing or two about silence. Real silence is more than the absence of sound. It is something you feel. A few heartbeats earlier, a steady wind scattered the leftover sounds from evening. A car passing, neighbors talking from behind closed doors, somewhere a dog barking. All the usual muffled racket of nearby lives. Then there was nothing, nothing at all, as if the desert and everyone in it had vanished and left nothing behind but an indifferent, starless light. And beautiful, um, very evocative. In fact, one of the quotes at the beginning of the book is a quote by Juan Rulfo. Yes, yeah, Juan Rulfo about silence. Yes, 
He says, in my life there are many silences. I think that's true of uh, Ben Jones as well. Um, and uh, Juan Rulfo is, uh, is of course, uh, he only wrote a couple books, but he was a, uh, he's sort of the father of uh, Mexican um, uh, magic realism. Uh, an incredible, an incredible writer. Um, and in fact, Juan Rulfo ties into this book in, in so many ways. Juan Rulfo, in fact, um, uh, ran a little tire shop in Mexico. And even though uh, his book, uh, uh, Pedro Paramo, has sold millions of copies worldwide, um, he just continued to, to work in the tire shop. And, of course, tires play a, uh, a role in the new book as well. I, I didn't know that about Juan Rulfo. He he was a photographer as well as being a writer, right? Uh, um, you know, I I you know I didn't I didn't know that, but I think it's it's possible. Yeah. I, uh, he's but, you mentioned his bo- the first book. You mentioned that you know Pedro Paramo um, is that's you know standard reading in Latin American schools, but I, I don't know that Juan Rulfo is really all that well known in the English speaking world. Perhaps not, um, uh, but certainly among you know among writers and, and people in literature and and so on, general public perhaps not so much. But when you think of what a small you know skinny little book Pedro Paramo is, um, and that it sold millions of copies worldwide, um, really is a, a striking striking book and and of course you know the other epigraph is from uh, uh, Rilke uh, from the Dewino elegies so uh, there there are those two things about you know because the de- the desert is is uh, is is beautiful and the line from Rilke of course is that uh, um, uh, beauty is just the beginning of a terror we can hardly imagine so and that's the desert too mm. so Let's be good. Yeah. To, do, you, do you have the? Do you have that in front of you? It'd be good to hear that uh, from Rilke. The, sure, the, the full, uh, one the of full my quote. favorites. Yeah, uh, and uh, let me find. Okay, here we go. And this was translated from the German by uh, Gary Miranda. What angel, if I called out, would hear me? And even if one of them impulsively embraced me, I'd be crushed by its strength. For beauty is just the beginning of a terror. We can barely stand. There you go. Um, so, uh, yeah, you, and you connected it to the desert. I, I think I did as well, probably because I was reading it uh, at the front of your book, and I, and I knew your, your book was about <laughs> the, the desert uh, uh-huh. in parts. So you're connecting this with, with nature, with desert. Yes, yes. I, you know, one of the things about writing about the desert is, for me, we live in a very uh, complicated uh geopolitical um, world and things are discussed in terms of politics and what I like about the desert and why I place things there is it it really makes what matters what truly matters in life come to the foreground because you're out there there's so few people what's important water what's important in who you are as a human being, it's just you and somebody else. What are you going to do? So there, there aren't these big geopolitical 
things. It's, you know, and in Ben's case, he realizes that to do the compassionate thing involves risk, as it always does. And uh, he accepts that risk. Before we, we'll take a break. When we come back, I want to hear about, uh, have you described Ben Jones? And uh, we'll get into the story. Um, but uh, I noticed in your acknowledgement, you thank the poets who are your daily companions. Yes. Um, name some of the poets. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Iris Sadoff, Aliki Barnstone, uh, Mary Jane White, uh, Kathleen Ossip, uh, you know, there, there are, there are so, so many of them. Um, Kathy Fagan, who in fact, uh, um, graduated from, uh, the graduate program in Salt Lake. Um, you know, they're just, um, uh, they're, I, I read poetry and, it, it helps me work work the language of the narrative uh, in different ways. Gee, I'm looking here, uh, Michael Sims, uh, Naomi Shihab Nye, Christopher, Christopher Merrill, uh, Major Jackson. These are all, these are all people, you know, that I read, and um, um, it, helps me, it helps me feel the desert, uh, I think, in a unique way. The, these are, I, I guess, a lot of poetry about the desert. Is that... No, no, not necessarily about mm-hmm. the desert, but um, a way of of going inside language. I, I, I'm really I'm really concerned about um, being able to do justice to my characters and to do justice to uh, Utah and and the desert, uh, and it helps me find ways to do it. Now, I always I I, I try not to let language get in the way of story. You know, because I want the story, I want the narrative to move forward. But how you say things uh, becomes very important uh, if if you want it to resonate some way with the reader. Hmm. I just uh, you you were talking politics and uh, poverty of language, and I'm <laughs> political discourse today is uh, there there is a there's a poverty in language, uh, and <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which may have an effect. I don't know. Maybe maybe reflects what our thinking, or or perhaps itself is damaging. I'm not sure. I well, I think that's that's absolutely true. I mean, what passes for communication these days, I don't think is is really true communication. I don't think texting uh, is is really communication, or Facebook, or whatever. Out in the desert, you know. Uh, ben doesn't have a cell phone. Nobody does because you can't get reception. What what transpires from between people is eye to eye, face to face, heart to heart. And uh, there's an economy of words, but what people say is very important. I think in Never Open Desert Diner, I say that uh, uh, conversation is parceled out like water. Uh, very important, but carefully used. Mm. Well, let's take a break, and we'll come back more with James Anderson. His new book is Lullaby Road. It is set on uh, Route 117. And uh, we should say, uh, and I believe uh, it, uh, reading Never Open Desert Diner, I believe we talked about this when we talked previously, I went looking for 117 on the map and was, <laughs> and was disappointed that I, I didn't find it. I think there, there's an impulse there that we want these places and characters to be real. 
I mean, there, you know, there's, there's a lot of real elements there. If you, if you go out to Cisco, you can see the kind of country, right? Um, well, you know, the thing is, is that what, what I like to say is that it is real. And of course, I've, I've received so much fan letter, a lot of people from around the country uh, who, who read the first book and so on, um, came to Utah and, and they wanted to see the light. And, and I would get emails and so on from people saying, I'm, I'm out here past price and I can't find the diner. Uh, and um, th- I can't find 117. That's, a, that's on another part of the state. And I, I felt terribly guilty. Uh, but um, once they got into the spirit of things, everything that I say, that I describe, I have, I have seen in the Utah desert. It just may not be exactly where I say it is. Mm-hmm. And essentially it's the, the country between uh, Price and Moab. Right. Uh, so, yeah, people could go there. They just won't find 117. Um, <laughs> or Rock Muse. Or, rock or muse, the diner. Yes. Right. But right. Uh, use your imagination. Take the book. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the, new, uh, the new novel is just uh, now set in winter along uh, Route 117, and uh, the protagonist is still Ben Jones. We'll, we'll talk about Ben Jones when we come back. I should mention before we go to break that James Anderson will be reading and signing, reading from and signing his book uh, tomorrow evening um, at the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. More following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Moab Music Festival and Moab Area Travel Council presenting Winterlude, a week of chamber music concerts and educational workshops featuring USU's Fry Street Quartet, February 5th through 10th. Ticket information at moabmusicfest.org. This is the Management Minute with Professor Scott Hammond. Undercover Boss has become a popular television program. A boss, leader, CEO goes undercover in his or her organization disguised as an employee. The program documents their surprise as the boardroom meets line workers and learns about their challenges. I have two big problems with this program. First, you're lying to your employees. Going undercover is a lie, a deception. Deception undermines trust, even if there's a good outcome. Second, and this is the most important thing, a good leader will already know. Undercover boss uncovers bosses who need to go undercover to learn. This is the wrong kind of culture and the wrong kind of boss. The Management Minute is made possible by the USU John M. Huntsman School of Business one-year MBA, full-time on campus in Logan, and professional MBA available statewide. Details at huntsman.usu.edu MBA. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We're talking with James Anderson. Uh, his debut novel, The Never Open Desert Diner, is set in the high desert of Utah and uh, got very good reviews. Now he's out with Lullaby Road, which is uh, set in the, the same country and uh, has the same uh, protagonist, uh, Ben Jones, a truck driver. Um, and we're talking about Lullaby Road with James Anderson on the program today. You're welcome to join this conversation if you would like to 800-826-1495, toll free 800-826-1495, or by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. So James Anderson, tell us about Ben Jones. Well, Ben Jones is um, uh, about to turn 40. Uh, he is a, um, uh, as far as he knows, uh, he is the uh, abandoned child of a Jewish 
a social worker and a Native American man, and he was um, uh, abandoned at birth um, on the reservation uh, in Oregon in uh, Warm Springs, and then he was adopted by a uh, an older childish, childless uh, Mormon couple uh, in Price, Utah, and um, he's um, uh, he. He has his issues, as they say, uh, but he's and he's he's had a troubled past, but he he works every day at being a a better person, uh, and uh, you know there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of humor. He has a kind of mm, you know sometimes a kind of oblique way of of looking at the world, and I I have to I have to say I. Um, the reviews have just been amazing, and I'm so pleased. And uh, but one of them that just absolutely uh, got to me was uh, the Deseret News. Uh, wonderful review, but they actually said that that the the humor uh, uh, in the book was such that uh, the reviewer imagined that even Joseph Smith would uh, chuckle. And I have to tell you. The, the visage of Joseph Smith chuckling at anything I write now that was an image I I, I really got uh, I, I got a laugh out of that one so um, but so Ben does have a sense of humor uh, but he spends a lot of time alone and uh, uh, and he's not lonely uh, I think the poet Marion Moore said um, uh, the ultimate cure for uh, loneliness is solitude and so he has a lot of time to reflect and um he he he's he very much is a part of the landscape um and and the desert and even though he never says it and he'd fact rail against it perhaps but of the desert rats and the exiles and and so on those are really sort of his adopted family uh, this Deseret News review that you referenced, a uh, quote from this, uh, because Jones is flawed, honest about these flaws, and choosing to work beyond the limitations of these flaws, he's a little bit like a superhero, and everybody likes a superhero story. What do you think of that line? You know, when you have to realize, Tom, I, I, I didn't publish my first novel, Never Open Desert Diner, until I was 62. I'd written a lot of other novels, novels, and I'd been writing, but basically I was a coward and afraid to send stuff out. And um, but um, I was asked a lot because it was rejected by everyone, um, and I mean everyone, uh, agents and publishers. Uh, but one of the questions I would get is, well, you know, what is your character's superpower? Because so often, you know, in protagonists like this, you know, it's a you know, uh, uh, former Navy SEAL who speaks eight languages and is a Nobel-winning physicist. And, you know, they have these, you know, these backgrounds. And I had to think about that. And, and Ben Jones, uh, he, his superpower is, like all of us, he gets up in the morning and he does the best he can. He puts his boots to the floor and he does a job with no parades, uh, uh, no awards. You get up, you do the best you can, you try to be the best person you can be. And sometimes you fail, and sometimes you succeed, but you always try. And um, uh, and in my book, that's a superpower. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's it's all the more inspiring or relatable because it's, you know, it's Ben's a lot like us, right? Us. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I've gotten mail from people saying, um, you write about us. You write about us. Uh, uh, you know, as opposed to, you know, people in high finance and politics and... Um, you know, and that's and that's true because that's the background I come from. And in this particular book, which has to do with children, growing children, small children, uh, parenting, um, uh, all all of these things, and uh, but about children at risk, and um, and I was a child at risk, and and there were there were people that stepped forward to. Um, to help us, to help me, to help my sister. So, um, you know, all that plays out in in the desert, and in that sense, you know, we all fail, don't we? I mean, but we try. We try. And Ben is trying, and that's what you see. You see him trying. I wonder if we could do it, I mean, stay on you just briefly. Um, you, uh, you said you, you wrote a lot of books, you did a lot of writing, but... Uh... I guess didn't pre- yes. present it for publication, or in some was 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 rejected. Well, you know, I I did send out you know short stories. I mean, I finished my first novel when I was sixteen, uh, and uh, I I I didn't like high school. I didn't I didn't go. I was working, but you know, uh, I was up all night writing. Uh, and by the way, the the novel that I wrote at sixteen was appropriately terrible, um, <laughs> but I kept, but I kept at it, and uh, but I never really sent the novels out. And um, then you know later on in life, um, one of the great things about getting older uh, is you lose your fear uh, of failure, and and uh, um, you just go, you know what, I'm I'm going to try this, and if it doesn't work. It doesn't work, um, and uh, gee, so I was I, w- I was amazed that it got published at all, and that it was successful, and that that people and readers and reviewers responded to it. Um, gee, as Raymond uh, Carver says, it's just all gravy. I mean, it's mm. it's it's wonderful, and I'm I'm enjoying it. So uh, the you know the the plot gets underway here uh, quickly in the in chapter one. Ben pulls into this uh, this kind of out of the way uh, uh, gas station, mm-hmm. and the proprietor says, uh, "You you have something someone's left for you." It turns out to be a child. Mm-hmm. And uh, one reviewer yeah. said this could have devolved into Mr. Mom, you know, just misadventures. Mm-hmm. That's not what you were going for. What what were you going for? Well. Well, you know, it's a seedy truck stop out in the middle of nowhere. It's a cheapo independent. Uh, it's freezing cold. It's snowing. Uh, and um, Ben doesn't want to take a child. He's surprised, of course. So it, it raises, you know, what what kind of parent would would leave a child, abandon a child? Uh, and, of course, you know, the guy that runs the truck stop uh, is, well... I I can't use the word in on, on the radio, but use your imagination. <laughs> He's not a nice man. He's not a nice man, and um, 
uh, and Ben has to make a decision. He he knows that the from the note that the the father who he hardly knows um, wants Ben to take the child uh, to protect the child and not tell anyone. Um, <clears throat> so you know Ben again has to make um, has to make those that decision, and you know and and of course you know in his in his thinking, he goes, well, I just don't have time to mess with this, so it's just easier. The fact of the matter is is that right from the very beginning, since you know Ben's background, um, he feels a certain compassion for a child and, and, and the mystery of why somebody would leave a child. Why would somebody turn their back on a child? Plus, Cecil Boone, who runs the, the truck stop, um, he knows the child's out there. He doesn't care. You know, so... Um, does that answer your question? I kind of got off. Yeah, track. yeah, yeah. Certainly, and there's there's mystery. There's there's a mystery out there that's uh, you know solved as we go along. Um, I wonder if you could t- talk about the people who, and th- this is based on at least what I know to be reality. People kind of self-select. They uh, you know they they they're, they gravitate to the to the desert. Mm-hmm. I guess because they want to. They want to be lost. They want to be let alone. They 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 want that life, that remote life. I don't know. Is that a well? Yeah, accurate they, characterization. And they, and they pay a high price for it too. Um, they don't have they don't have much money. Their life is hard. Um, uh, they have a uh, um, an extreme uh, uh, distaste and disregard for government, all government, uh, and. Um, uh, they, they, they have they have a difficult existence, but it's an existence that that they choose. Um, ben um, uh, Ben says uh, at one point uh, he he quotes that old axe about what doesn't uh, kill you makes you stronger, and he goes not on one seventeen. Uh, what doesn't kill you on one seventeen, meaning out in the desert. Um, just pisses you off and uh, gets another chance later. Uh, but that's the kind of life they they accept, and the reward for that life is a kind of, of, of solitude that um, that connects you to what's really important. And I think when you're surrounded by people and housing developments and, and so on, um, it's it's like being surrounded by things that are so prevalent, so familiar, you stop seeing them. And the nice thing about Ben Jones is um, every time he drives out into the desert, which he's been doing every day, five days a week for almost 20 years, every time he goes out there, it's brand new. He sees something, feels something that he hasn't felt before. And I think that the people, the desert rats out there, um, it's the same for them. So I wonder if you talk a little bit about some of these. Uh, there's there's a man, I think he appeared in uh, Never Open Desert Diner as well. He walked several miles a day hauling a, a life-sized crucifix. Ah, uh, yes. Well... A, a, a cross, I should say. You know, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a cross, and he's fixed a little a wheelbarrow uh, uh, tire to it, and uh, he has his... Uh, it's a 100-mile stretch, and from spring and into fall, uh, 
that's what he does. He his church is, which is the uh, first church of the Desert Cross, which is basically a uh, an abandoned True Value store in the uh, uh, town of uh, Rockmuse, which doesn't exist. But uh, and he he wanders the highway. Uh, he has a, what he uh, what he calls his uh, unofficial stations of the cross. So you know he pulls this cross, and he um, uh, he camps. Uh, and uh, just goes up and down the highway. And um, over the years, he and Ben have become friends. So Ben will will pull over when he sees him, and and uh, they have water. They they share an imaginary cigarette. They which they have this big ritual that they do. They both neither one of them smoke, but they used to smoke, and so they sort of pretend have uh, imaginary cigarettes. Uh, and uh, John is. Um, John, in many ways, is uh, um, kind of Ben's confidant. Ben talks to him, and uh, uh, Ben accepts his eccentricity. In fact, Ben accepts everybody out in the desert um, for who they are. He doesn't. He doesn't. There's no judgment. There's just sort of this is who they are, and and. he, he doesn't. I, I don't even think he thinks of them as necessarily crazies or eccentrics. They're they're just people who live in the desert. So uh, and then you know there's Jenny who's uh, you know just turned eighteen. Uh, she was homeless in the first book. She's kind of a, a a punk, but she's you know she's going to school. She's raising a child alone, uh, and um, uh, you know just. You know, an amazing, you know, an amazing person that you, uh, that if you saw this person on the street, you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily think that that's who they are. Like most people, we don't know what's underneath the skin. And uh, let me see, who else? Um, oh, gee, you know, there's the guy that that runs the uh, the little post office in the town of Rock Muse, uh, and people generally ignore their mail in Rock Muse. Uh, and uh, he builds uh, model airplanes that he hangs from the ceiling in the post office. Um, you know, there are just there there are all kinds of uh, of people who who live out there, and um, uh, well, they're just people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's uh, one of the ones that stood out to me. Uh, Phyllis turned up one day oh, in, a, yeah. in a Rolls Royce. And, and stayed. Well, you know, a lot stayed. of this. I have to tell you, Tom. A lot of this. There, there are certain uh, homages, there allusions to uh, some of my favorite characters, and um, I get asked about what are my influences, and and my literary influences, of course, are um, uh, Terry Tempest Williams and Thomas Merton, and and so on. But on the other side of that, which is what makes these books such a interesting eccentric mix but on the other side of that are uh, is, is uh, Raymond Chandler and and Robert Parker and uh, uh, and one of my all-time favorites John D McDonald's uh, Travis McGee and in fact Travis McGee has an old electric blue Rolls-Royce uh, uh, these were novels that were popular in the 60s detective novels um, that's been turned into a pickup. And Phyllis's background is that she got into some trouble. She's a wealthy New York socialite and, and sort of moved to the desert years before. And she 
has her Rolls Royce converted into a pickup because, face it, you live out in the desert and you're a rancher, um, your Rolls Royce is useless. Mm -hmm. So she has the local body shop cut it down and turn it into uh, a pickup. So, uh, so you know, that was kind of a, a nod to uh, John D. McDonald. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and Phyllis is in her 60s, and, and um, you know, she lives alone, and um, she likes it out there. But um, people locally refer to her as the Countess, because even though she wears cowboy boots and, and uh, you know, denim skirts and jeans and so on, she still looks like a New York socialite underneath it. You can still tell she kind of has this regal bearing, but she's a, a wonderful, compassionate person. That's uh, provoked a memory. Uh, my brothers told me one time, we, we grew up in Vernal, out in eastern, northeastern Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they swore that uh, a, a farmer overalls drove up in his Cadillac, I think it was a Cadillac, mm-hmm. opened the trunk and uh, then uh, slapped some sod in there. And, uh, and and drove off. It's kind of kind of a little bit similar. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, and and you know, it's you you do. I mean, there there has to be a utility. I mean, you know, on the other hand, Ben, um, there's somebody who um, uh, is from Nevada that uh, plays a role in this thing. But um, and I have to admit, this is kind of me because you know, I I kind of I'm got a pragmatic streak and and i know a lot of ranchers and and uh uh, and so on and this person drives uh what they call a cadillac pickup you know and it's one of those things that have probably it it doesn't have any bed you know it's got this short little bed so it's useless uh but it you know it's a cadillac or you know a lincoln or 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 whatever and it's a pickup but it's the most useless pickup on the face of the earth my opinion and Ben's opinion, uh, and you know when you live out there, you need, you want something that works. Things have to have a use, uh, and uh, um, having a Cadillac, um, you can only get so much sod in the trunk of the Cadillac. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it makes you want to know the rest of the story but they, they just observed this reported it to me and we you know i know I'd, i've always been curious about that guy um let's take another break when we come back i want to talk about rock muse and uh, maybe some other characters and uh, some more of your background uh, james anderson uh maybe before we go to break you uh you had several jobs you know the long stretch in publishing um mm-hmm. but you did have a brief stint you say as a truck driver I did, and and it was and it was brief. You know, Ben's out there driving in the desert, and part of the story is, you know, he's he's thinking. You know, you're the the reader is privy to how he's thinking about what he's seeing and what he's feeling, and 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 so on. Uh, and uh, that works well for Ben in the desert. Uh, I drove a big building supply truck, you know, with uh, bricks and mortar and and, and so on. And uh, when my mind wandered. I had an accident. Uh, I actually hit a 7-Up truck, uh, and there was 7-Up and bricks and uh, wreckage all over the place. Uh, and uh, I got fired, uh, which is as it should be. So, uh, yeah, I did, I, did, uh, I did drive a truck, but not for very long, and uh, I can't say I was particularly good at it because it is a skill, and I have a lot of respect uh, for truckers. 
Well, let's take another break. James Anderson is with us. Uh, he is author previously of The Never Open Desert Diner. The new book, Lullaby Road, is also set in um, the eastern Utah high desert, stretch between uh, Price and uh, Moab. And uh, the protagonist, uh, uh, Ben Jones, uh, drives the fictional Route 117. We'll have uh, more on this. I should mention before we go to break that uh, James Anderson will be at the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City, 7 o'clock tomorrow evening, free and open to the public. More following this break. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll scale some lofty peaks in search of music from the mountainous regions of the world. I'm Dan Storper. And I'm Rosalie Howard. Join us for Mountain Music, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Join us Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Hi, this is Woody from Rochester, New York. I listen to Bullseye because it's a great way to catch up on all the great art and culture that I want to hear about. I'm Jesse Thorne. This week, I'm talking with Ricky Lindholm and Natasha Legero of the Comedy Central show Another Period, plus L.A. hip-hop pioneer The Egyptian Lover. That's on the next Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Join us a Saturday afternoon at 1 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We've reached our last segment with James Anderson. His uh, new novel is Lullaby Road. Uh, it is uh, set uh, same as Never Open Desert Diner's debut novel in the uh, high desert of uh, eastern Utah. And you're welcome to join this conversation at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. James Anderson will be at the King's English Bookshop tomorrow night at 7 uh, for a reading and a book signing. Also, they'll uh, show the book trailer, and a couple of gentlemen involved in book trailer will be with James Anderson there as well. At 7 o'clock well, you tomorrow know, I, evening. I wanted to mention, you know, we uh, this film turned out so beautifully, and so we, we will actually have a big screen and a state-of-the-art sound system because the uh, the music uh, is beautiful as well. And, and Cosme Duarte, who uh, was a regular on Longmire and so on, who portrays Ben Jones in the short film, is going to be joining us. And a uh, uh, terrific young actor, and uh, it should be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. This will be the first time I have actually seen it on a big screen. Um, so uh, a couple of reviewers uh, kind of compared... Your books to to Longmire is that a good or bad comparison? Well, do you think? Well, you know they're different, and I, I have to admit, I, out of the blue here, um, five six months ago, I got a note from Craig Johnson, who writes the Longmire series, saying that he'd read Never Open Di- Desert Diner and loved it. And it was it was wonderful to hear. I think that that um, there there are some similarities, but I think in a way, I mean Longmire. Um, uh, is much more a mystery solving thing and I, I i think what they what they have in common is the sort of uh rural landscape more than than anything else mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, so I, I you know i don't i don't think they're that much alike but they are they are people who are out there um, trying to do the best they can and sort of navigate uh, uh eccentric, sometimes dangerous people. 
the one of the connections uh, that I made it was it's kind of <laughs> it's a little bit wild, but as uh, you know, reading all these people in rock muse and along one seventeen, my mind kind of drifted toward Garrison Keillor's Lake Wobegon. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it's it kind of a wild, well. but but you know there there's there's you know, humor in your book. I mean it's you know it's a lot bleaker your your setting than than Lake Wobegon, but uh, there there's some eccentric people and. Try, well, you know, trying to get along and live they're, life. They're people trying to, you know, the, uh, one of the things that, Ben, there's the Rock Muse Mercantile, which um, is a little store, and, and Rock Muse is, used to be a coal mining town, but the, the coal mine closed, and there are people there, they're trying to figure out how to attract tourists, and, and Ben uh, sort of <laughs> ends up uh, getting sucked into this, uh, uh, some people uh, who were around the picnic tables at the inside the mercantile, um, which he refers to as the unofficial uh, Rock Muse uh, Chamber of Commerce and City Council. And they're they're just trying to talk about how they can attract people. And, of course, they're comparing uh, Moab, and they're, they're, uh, um, they're talking about how they need to make Rock Muse the gateway to somewhere, <laughs> you know, uh, and, uh, uh, and various sort of wacky ideas about what they can do to... Uh, uh, to attract tourists to come down this lonely stretch of, of road. And, of course, you know, they're saying, well, people go to Moab because they have really nice rocks. And, of course, then the people at the table go, well, we have great rocks here. We need to let pe- more people know that our our rocks are just as, as good as the rocks in Moab, you know. Uh, so, uh, and and Ben is sort of gets swept up in this at the same time he's trying to extricate himself uh, from uh, from this uh, from this discussion, um, so uh, yeah, I mean, Rock Muse is, is a is a dying little town, and they're trying to come up with ways to survive. It illustrates the uh, you know the the same remoteness that attracts people also can become a problem. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, uh, the in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, around the country, I mean, whether you're whether you're in Indiana or, or Oregon or Nevada or Utah or, or or whatever, a lot of people just trying to figure out every day what what can I do? You know, how do I survive? And um, you know, I one of the things that I I really like is um, having these having Ben be be at least a witness to to these struggles because. Regardless of where you're at, I mean, these are the people that I grew up with, and that I care about, and and that and that I understand, and that to tell you the truth, I have just this deep and abiding respect for, because they're just trying to find a way to get through every day and take care of their families, and um, uh, and face the sort of daily struggles that we all face. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, Utah's. Mormon country. You have a character yeah. in the in the book. Uh, of course, Ben was raised by you say a Mormon cu- couple in uh, mm-hmm. in Price. Um, there's mm-hmm. An- Andy. He's a state trooper. Uh, Mormon. Sometimes yeah. stops in for for coffee. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it it's uh, uh, the thing is is that the the character of Andy, who's in his thirties, he's Mormon, uh, and he's a Utah state trooper. He's out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, and Andy is really the only one that kind of ever gets down 117. 
and he spends most of his time patrolling uh, US 6191, uh, you know, which runs from, you know, Salt, Way, Salt Lake through Moab and out that way. But um, I, it's funny because, you know, Andy, in a way, is um, is based on a on a young trooper that I met uh, maybe 20 years ago out there. Uh, and I, I've talked to him and a couple other troopers, uh, and I, I asked uh, the prototype from Andy, I said, do you, ever, do you ever have trouble being a good Mormon and a good cop at the same time? And they always just sort of laugh and go, yeah, every day. <laughs> you know, so balancing, trying to be a good Mormon, but also being a, a law enforcement officer that that requires certain things that that can be at odds with uh, um, with being a good Mormon, and I think that's a that's a balancing act for uh, for a lot of people um, who are in law enforcement or or, or tough. Uh, I don't know, um, tough careers. Uh, and in fact, it's, it's tough for everybody who's, who's, who's trying to adhere to something that's, um, um, you know, a, a path to decency, whether it's Buddhist or, or Christian or Muslim, because um, you're pulled a lot of different ways. Just have a oh, two or three minutes left. I want to uh, quote. This is a quote from quote from you, of course, but this is, comes out of Ben's mouth. Uh, he says, "I've come to think that the only thing you can count on with people is that they will always be human, good and bad, usually both, occasionally at the same time." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and yeah, it came out of Ben's mouth, and Ben believes that because it, he's talking about himself, but he's. Um, uh, it turns out that at the beginning of the of Lullaby Road, because one of the things I really liked is, you know, I mean, it got a, a starred review, which is very rare from Library Journal, um, about uh, you know about the action and so on, and in uh, a sense of jeopardy and, and and so on. But the thing is, is that the in Lullaby Road, one of the people at the beginning that you're sure is the bad guy. At the end of the book, he's still the bad guy, but he ends up being the good guy in in a very unexpected way. Uh, and you run into somebody. I got to tell you, Tom. You run into somebody that you know is telling you how good they are, or that they think they're good all the time. Uh, they're lying to you, and they're lying to themselves. Uh, and we're we're all in that struggle every day, and uh, I I really I really try to bring out my characters that um, uh, we're we're grappling with with issues every day, and sometimes we fail. But the one thing we can't do is stop trying, and that's the characters are all trying in their their own ways. Well, uh, we've reached uh, the end of our time. Uh, James Anderson is uh, on a uh, tour here in the West for the book, Lullaby Road. So yesterday, Albuquerque, uh, tonight, Scottsdale, and uh, tomorrow, Salt Lake. So that's, uh, that, that'll be some nice... Uh, I don't know if you drive that or do you fly that? You know, I, I have driven it, and uh, but I am flying it. But, mm-hmm. you know, I really have to tell you, I the King's English 
uh, is such an incredible place. And when I started out, uh, I was a debut novelist. Nobody wanted me. In fact, there were really only two stores, one in New York City, surprisingly enough, and the King's English. And, uh, you know, uh, King's English has been so great to me and so supportive. Uh, and uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm really looking forward to being back in Utah. That is uh, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, King's English Bookshop, uh, reading and book signing and a showing of the uh, book trailer. And uh, that'll involve uh, the director of the trailer and the actor who portrays Ben Jones uh, participating in that event. So that's free and open to the public tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. The book is out, Lullaby Road. The author, James Anderson, has joined us. So thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. It's, it's been a great pleasure. Uh, for me as well. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Next, Freakonomics Radio, a bunch of economists were trying to figure out what happened to economic growth. The most recent few years in the U.S. and globally have been so dismal and so depressing, we start to think, well, is this part of a longer trend? And even more worrying, what's the cause of this trend? One thought, maybe we're just out of good ideas. That's next time on Freakonomics Radio. Join us tomorrow morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, and UPR.org.